Hello everyone, it's good to be able to share with you. My name's Dave and I'm part of the team at Gold Hill. And we're carrying on our, our series called How Big Is Your God? And it's a series all about that question. Have we, have we thought about God in ways that, that are as big as he is? Or have we found ways to make him smaller, either in terms of the way we relate to him or in our thinking or in our living? And it might be that, that you're a Christian and you're listening to this series and you're thinking, yeah, I, I kind of need to reclaim how big the God that I follow is. It may be that you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, that you wouldn't say you're a follower of God, but you're, you're kind of thinking about him and, and, and you're trying to get, get your head around, well, if there is a God, what's he like? So as we sort of carry on this series, the last couple of weeks, Stephen, a couple of weeks, introduced this series with that big question of how big is your God and looked at the galactic bigness of God how huge he is. Then last week, Jill super helpfully encouraged us to think about the love of God and how big God's love is for us and how we can then respond in love to him. This week and the next two are kind of forming a, a little mini series within a series where we're going to be looking at the first three of the Ten Commandments. Now, that means a couple of things, one of which is you're stuck with me for the next few weeks. Normally, we wouldn't have just one voice doing, doing a few weeks in a row in our online services. But over the course of these three weeks, because they tie in with one another, we felt that it was, it was right that we have sort of um, a through flow for that. So I'm going to be sharing each, each of the next uh, today and the next uh, two weeks on the first three of the Ten Commandments. Why are we choosing that? Why are we focusing in on the Ten Commandments and the first three of them? Well, it's because they're all to do with ways that we relate to God, ways that we can relate to him well, or ways that we can actually relate to him in a way that makes him smaller and less than he really is. So that's what we're doing and why we're doing it. But there's a danger. When we think about commands from God, we can, we can suddenly conjure in our mind the idea of a God who has a big wagging finger at us, who's waiting for us to, to break the commandments and do something wrong so that he can punish us or, or so that he can judge us. That was never the intent of God when he gave commands, when he gave instructions and rules and guidance about how people should live. It was always for their benefit always so that they could live in ways that were good and ways that were going to bless them. We'll actually see that in the way that the commandments are introduced in a moment. But can I encourage you, if you find yourself listening to these commandments and going, oh, I know I fall short of that. I know that I don't live up in that area. If you're thinking about faith, you're thinking, I know that I could never do that and never live faithfully like that. Know that God gives, the, gives these things for our encouragement because he loves us not so that he can catch us out and find us when we don't live up to it. So let's look at this first commandment because the first one is all about choosing to live in a way that says God is our one and only. Let's have a look at that first commandment. It's in Exodus chapter 20 and, and we read this. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. And let's, let's pause there. We haven't even got to the commandment yet. But do you hear what God says? He doesn't just say, right, come here, people. I'm going to tell you all the rules so that you can follow them. And then if you're good enough, then I'll choose to be close to you. No, he says, look, I am the Lord your God. I've become your God. I've chosen you. I've called you out. And in fact, I've rescued you from slavery in Egypt. I've already come through for you. I've already chosen you now. This is how you can live 
in response to that. And then we come to the first commandment given for the good of people that says, you shall have no other gods before me. That's the first of the Ten Commandments. We'll come to two and three in the next couple of weeks. But the first is this. You shall have no other gods before me. Is this just God on a sort of jealousy trip? God who's just sort of uh, requiring that other people have no other gods because he's, he, he's jealously wanting people's attention? I don't think so. It's because he knows that he alone is God. He alone is worthy of worshipping as God. And as soon as people start to pin their hopes and trust and love on other things, to let other things become like God, that is the point when things start to fall apart. Uh, this week and the next couple, I want to I use a visual image to kind of try and help us understand this in terms of the way that we relate to God. So you'll see here a couple of people. Could be a man or a woman, that's why I've put both in. This is you. This is you, this is me, this is us. And in our lives, we have all kinds of different things going on, relationships and hobbies and careers and money and all kinds of different things that are part of life. We'd be kidding ourselves if we thought they weren't part of our lives. All of us have lots of different things going on in our life. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, is simply God saying that he is to be at the top. That he is to be above all of these things, above us and above everything else that's going on in our lives. It's a call to say, look, don't make me one of two things. Either don't make me below everything else, where you've got everything else going on in your life. You've got your job, you've got your friends, you've got your hobbies, you've got your family, you've got your passions, you've got your pursuits, you've got all of that kind of stuff. And at the bottom of the pile, underneath everything else, is God. To live that way is not to live in keeping with the first commandment. But the other thing that we can do, which is maybe a little bit harder to spot, is simply to have God in amongst everything else, with maybe a couple of things that are bigger and more important to us at the top, and God kind of just takes his place in amongst the melee of everything else. Those are two ways that we can, we can break this commandment, that we can not follow it, and that we can end up doing God and ourselves a disservice. So the question is, why is it such a bad thing? Why would it be so bad for us if we have other things before God or alongside him, and he's just sort of... Um, on par with other things that we've got going on. Why is that such a bad thing? Well, I actually want to focus what we're saying today in a, in a passage in, in the scriptures, in, in the Psalms. And uh, our verse for the year as Gold Hill this year is Psalm 115 verse 1. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. It's another way, kind of, of saying this first commandment. Not to us, it's not about me. It's not about us, but to you, Lord, be the glory. It's all about you. It's not about me. It's all about you. It's not about us. You come first and everything else comes after that. But then the rest of that psalm carries on. That's Psalm 115 verse 1. But as we pick up in verse 2, we'll see that there's a kind of a comparison between the way that some people live and the way that others live in terms of the way that they relate to God or other things. And as we look at these verses, we'll see three reasons why it's so not good for us, so not right to put other things above or in the place that God should have. Let's read these verses, starting at Psalm 115, verse 2. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. 
Now, the, the, the picture here is, is of people from, from other nations, not from, not from Israel who follow the Lord God, but people from other nations who have who, who've built idols and, and statues and icons and they, they worship them. It was very common in, in that day for, for nations to, to build things, to build temples or build statues and then to bow down and worship them. They were created by people, but then worshipped by people. And we get this idea that, that, that we've got people in these other nations mocking the people of God, mocking the Israelites and saying, where are their gods? We've got our statues. We know where our gods are. Where are yours? We can't even see your God. And they're teasing them. They're mocking them. They're throwing insults on them. But the response to that from Israel's point of view is our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. The first reason that it can be so dangerous to put something else in the place of God is that anything else, everything else can't function by itself, doesn't have power of its own. But God, he does. God isn't something that's made by us. God isn't something that's, that derives its power or its authority or its substance from us. God is God, whether we choose to like it or not. God does what God wants to do. God is self-sufficient. God is not dependent upon us in the way that these idols and these statues of the other nations were dependent upon them. They'd made God small enough that they could try and worship, but God isn't small enough that we can get our heads around him, that we, can, that we can imagine him completely. God is big. God blows our categories. God blows our minds. God isn't someone that we can control. He does what he pleases. And he always does what is good, what is right, what is just, what is perfect. God does that and nothing else ever will. God does what he pleases. What are, the, what are these gods of the other nations doing? Well, not a lot. They can only do what the people, what their puppet masters try and make them do. Here's another reason as we carry on. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. See, a statue has a nose has eyes, has a mouth, has hands, has feet. It looks like the real deal, but it has no power. Can't actually do anything with those things. They've just got something that looks like hands. They're not actually hands with muscles and tendons and skin and opposable thumbs that can actually do something. They're just models. They're just a fake version of the real thing. Nothing apart from God can actually achieve in our lives what God can achieve, can actually follow through, can actually deliver. There might be other things in our lives, and I'm going to come on to talk about what kinds of things that we can often put in God's place in our lives. But there might be things in our life that we think, that's good, that will deliver, that will follow through, that will see me through, I can trust in that, I can depend on that. It seems to be good, look, it looks good. Maybe a relationship, maybe a person, maybe a hobby, maybe a career. These are the things that are going to fulfill me. Look, there's so many good things about them. But ultimately, none of them at their core is able to do what God can do, is able to achieve what God can achieve. It can be so tempting to put our, our trust in something smaller, something littler, because we think it looks good. But actually nothing, friends, nothing 
is as good as God. Nothing has the power to do what God can do. We can make things that look the part, but only God is the part. And then as, as these verses continue, we read this final thing. Those who make them, those who make these idols, will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. Ultimately, if we make something and put it in the place of God, if there is something that is human in nature and we put it in the place of God and we start to follow it and worship it and we start to let it become what God should have been, then ultimately we'll start trying to become like it. In other words, we're going to become like the thing that's made in our image and that takes us nowhere. It just takes us back to ourselves. So there's a danger in putting other things in the place that God alone should have. First, because only God can actually deliver. Second, because other things may look the part, but they don't have the power. And third, because ultimately we're just ending up following ourselves and turning back in on ourselves, and then we're not following anything. But the verses carry on, and they say this, All you Israelites trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. Lots of reasons why following these, these, these foreign gods and these, these, these idols, these icons, these statues is a waste of time. But three times this encouragement, trust in the Lord. In other words, follow that first commandment. Have no other gods before him. So in our lives, as we try to, to maybe follow God to the, as, as best we can, as we try not to let him become smaller, but instead answer that question, how big is your God, by saying huge, and I want his impact on my life to be huge. How can we make sure that we're not falling into these traps? How can we make sure that we are not ending up making God smaller, having other things alongside him or above him and putting him at the bottom of the pile? Well, I think there's three good questions that we can ask. Tim Keller, who is a brilliant pastor and preacher in the United States, in, uh, based in New York. He wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods, all about the things that we can put in God's place. It's a really good read. And in it, he says the Bible uses three basic metaphors to talk about how people relate to idols of their hearts. They love idols, trust idols and obey idols. So the three questions I think are good for us to ask is, is there something we love more than God? Is there something we trust more than God? And is there something we obey more than God? So first, do you love something more than God? Maybe, maybe it's a passion. Let's, let's use an example. Maybe there's a sport that you follow. Maybe it's football. And maybe when you wake up in the morning, you're, the first thing you're doing is you're, is you're checking the scores or you're checking who's being played that day or you're checking um, who's been benched or you're looking at regulations and you're, you, you're, you're following all the different things and you're, you're starting to formulate ideas and theories about what's going to happen and, and, and who's going to win and all that kind of stuff. And then when you get together with your friends, you, you talk about it and you're excited about it and there's a passion and there's a, there's a love for it. You're constantly trying to find out more about it. You're trying to follow it. You're trying to watch it. In your already busy life, you make sure that there's time for you to follow the team that, you, that you're interested in or the players that you like. You devote your attention, you devote your time to it. And I want to say there is absolutely nothing wrong with anything I've just said. The problem, the only problem, is that when we have that relationship to something else, 
but we don't come close to having that kind of relationship with God, then there might be a problem. It might be that there's something else that actually makes us more excited, that we get more passionate about, that we can't help ourselves but talk about. I read recently that if you talk to someone who you've never met before, in 30 minutes they'll tell you what they're passionate about because it will be something that they can't help themselves talking about. It might be their family, it might be a, a friend, it might be something that they're working on, it might be their job, it might be a passion or a hobby. What are the things that you're so excited about that you can't help but think about, turn over in your mind, one of your first thoughts in the day, one of your last thoughts at night, the kind of things you daydream about. These are the things that we love. What are they for you? Are there things that actually occupy your time and attention and mind way more than God? Not because they're forced to. There can be things that are on our mind all the time, not because we want them to be, but because they have to be. But when you have freedom over your thoughts, when it's not about what other people are telling you what to care about, when, it, when you get the opportunity, what is it that you focus on? And can I just say again, this is not about saying, oh, well, I need, to, I need to quit football and I need to never think about it ever again. I need to stop talking about it. I need to try and push these things down in the hope that God will come up. Friends, you can't just dethrone an idol. You've got to replace it. You've got to find that, that love and that excitement for God all over again. That's the only way to put him first in your life. And the only way we can really do that is to remember how much he loved us. If you think, oh, I feel like I'm struggling with love and passion for God. I know he's there, I believe in him, but I think I've made him small enough that he's, he's part of my life, but not something I'm excited about. Not the one I truly love. I wouldn't describe him as my first love. Friends, can I remind you, he died for you. He gave his life for you. He rose again so that you may have life and have it in its fullness. He did everything so that he could be close to you. Don't try and muster up love for God. Remember God's love for you. Let that drive you back. That was the first question. The second, is there something you trust more than God? Example here might be, wealth or possessions or the security that comes from them. This idea that these things will look after you even when life becomes difficult. I've got my rainy day fund, I've got my, my, my pot, my savings account, or I've got my, my house. And all of these things are things that can, I can rely on. Relationships in our life can take on this as well. We trust them to give us meaning and security and we'll think they'll never let us down. There's a famous story of, a, of an ancient king who was, who was prone to, to fits of emotion, big highs and low lows. And he asked his advisors, look, I know that, that I keep fluctuating from big, high emotional happiness to deep, deep sadness, depending on what's going on around me in the world. I need some help. And they came back to him and said, we've got something for you that'll help you keep grounded, whether things are going well and you're happy or whether things are going wrong and they're going badly. And it was a, it was a piece of jewellery that had carved on it these words, this too shall pass. When life is going brilliantly and we think we can put our trust in our relationships, in our stuff, in our, in, in our job, in our hobbies, in all of those things, and we think these things will never let us down, remember, this too will pass. No relationship will last forever because we die. No job will last forever. No possession will last forever. But remember, 
in those low lows of life, this too will pass. The only thing, the only one that never will pass is God. He is eternal. He is constant. He will never let us down. He is the only one worthy of our complete trust. Is there something we're trusting for our security more than God? Remember, if it isn't God himself, it might, and it possibly will, let us down. Final question. Do you obey something more than God? Let's imagine our careers for a moment. If your ultimate purpose, if your idol is your career, the thing that you pursue above all else, and you know really that because of the culture of your work environment, in order to progress, in order to develop that career, in order to feed that career, that thing that you've put in number one space, in order to do that, you need to kind of give in to some of the, the cultures and the just sort of accepted practices of that environment. You need to talk other people down and put them down so that you can rise up, or you need to overwork to the neglect of your family. You need to be willing to bend the rules a little bit and do things that aren't quite right, maybe lie a little bit just to get ahead. Well, if your career is your number one thing, then you will obey all of those instructions and you'll do them so that you can advance your career, so that you can get ahead. Even if, even if you know that they're not the things that God would call you to do. Whereas if we're trusting God and we're obeying God as the number one in our life, then we'll say no to those other things. Because we know that they're not his best. We know that they're not the thing that he calls us to. And if you're here thinking, well, that's all right for you, Dave. You work for a church. Of course, the culture around you is something where you don't have to sacrifice on your faith. I know that I live in a, in a strange environment. I know that my life is not representative in many ways of, of others who will be watching this and listening to this. But if you're saying, well, that's just the way it works, Dave. This is the way it works in the world of work, in my industry. I just want to observe that you've made a choice there. You've made a choice about which thing will be primary in your life and which thing will come second. There are all kinds of ways that we can make God too small. We can love other things more than him. We can trust other things more than him. We can obey other things more than him. But friends, can I remind you that these commandments, including the commandment to have no other gods before him, are given for our good. He doesn't want us to love something that will ultimately not love us back as well as he will. He doesn't want us to trust in something that will ultimately let us down. He doesn't want us to obey things that will lead us in directions that are wrong. He wants the very best for us. So maybe as we examine ways in which we might have made God too small, to fit into our worldview. We've, we, we, we've made things and we've, we've chosen them instead of God. Can I encourage us that he lovingly calls us back and says, take stock. Look at your life. Look at what it is that you're pursuing. I am good. I am there for you. I will not let you down. And I call you, my children, to come, to come back to me. What are the things that we put in place of God? What are the things that, we, that we, we set up and as a result we make God 
too small. I'm going to give you a moment, give you about a minute to consider that. I'm just going to put the, the commandment up on the screen and give you a chance to focus on that, to think about that before we carry on in a time of worship. May God reveal lovingly to us the places where he wants to be more central in our lives. Always for our good. Always because he longs to draw us on. Our great, big, loving God. Thank you.